Last week, uh, Kelly showed me a video uh, that that Facebook or something reminded her of from several years ago whenever Lily uh, was, I think, one years old and just starting to talk. One of the first words uh, that she said was the word precious, uh, precious, because she had heard us call her precious so many times. And, of course, hearing her and watching that again say precious was precious to me. Uh, I, I wonder how you use that word that means of great value, precious. What are the things in your life that you consider to be and call precious? Uh, it might be the dress of your little daughter that you say you look so precious today in that dress. It could be the smile uh, of someone you love that you consider to be precious. I know we look at uh, older couples who've been married for decades and decades and see them still expressing affection to one another, and we say, that is precious. Whenever a human uses the word precious, it is, it is always focused upon what it is that we especially love out of this world. But there's also something else that's, that's usually true whenever we use the word precious. It's not just something that we love. There's this time Elements that is involved in what we consider to be precious. And in other words, if, if what we love, we may not always have. Then especially we say, this is precious to me. Life is precious, we know, whenever the diagnosis comes. Because it will end. Time with our children, time with our grandchildren is precious because it does not last. I was struck whenever I was carefully going through the book of First Peter to see how God uses the word precious. Six times in this letter, he uses the word precious and gives us this wonderful list of what is of most superior value to him. But I was surprised not only to notice those six occurrences of the word precious, but in every one of them, whether explicitly or just in idea, the word precious is tied to a time element for God as well. But for him, what is precious is what never perishes. It is not how we use it. That thing that is precious to us because it goes away. It is for God what never perishes is precious in his sight. There is tied to his delight in things, this durability of that thing. It is precious to God if it does not perish and because it does not perish. I want you to just see this in the text quickly before we walk through each of these six examples. Chapter 1, verse 7, notice the tested genuineness of your faith. More, here's one word, precious than gold. And the reason it's more precious than gold is because gold perishes. Whereas faith 
does not. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. You see these connected words again. You have been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Here we are. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. It is precious because it is imperishable. This morning, I want us to see the very few things that God reserves the word precious for. And my hope is that you will be equipped to honor and to value what He honors and values. So let's walk through these six things. First of all, chapter 1, verse 4. God says that our heavenly inheritance is precious. I I say that, although if you look at chapter 1, Verse 4, you don't see that word, but listen to verses 3 through 5, and we get the idea. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is, here we are, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The word precious is not used to describe the inheritance, but if you think about it this way, precious means ultimately valuable. It it is used elsewhere of that pearl of great price. And look who it is who is guarding the inheritance. Who is keeping it in verse 4? Who is guarding us for it in verse 5? There is a security guard outside of the vault of the Christian's imperishable inheritance. And the one who's guarding what is precious to him is God himself. Now let me clarify with the book of First Peter what this inheritance is. The inheritance is not what maybe we naturally imagine it to be. This pile of gold, or, or, or maybe even in, in heaven that we will have these pile of days forever and ever to do whatever it is we especially think is fun. It is not material pleasures that is the inheritance. First Peter says the inheritance is God Himself. God is not just the one keeping this inheritance. God is the inheritance. Look in chapter 3, verse 18 at how Peter describes what it is that Jesus won for us. Verse 18 of chapter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous in the place of the unrighteous. Why? So that He might bring us to gold, to endless football games or horsey rides or even even just a family reunion with all the people we love and we can we can use a certain part of heaven we'll have all the space we want we don't have to be around those other people in heaven who we don't like quite so much no he does this so that he might bring us to god 
That's the inheritance he's bringing us to. Chapter 5. Look also in verse 10. Jesus suffered once for sins. Chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called, who has called you where? To his eternal glory in Christ. He is bringing us to his experience His eternal glory forever and ever. In other words, the inheritance is imperishable because it is our eternal God who is our inheritance. I was thinking about this recently whenever we most commonly talk about what happens to us after Death, or maybe we're sharing the gospel with someone and we want to ask the question, do you believe, do you have confidence you're going to heaven? Did you know that Hebrews chapter 1 uses our word imperishable, but it's the opposite and it says the heavens will perish. Don't, maybe don't say anymore, are you going to heaven? That is going to perish. Maybe we should shift what we say. And this might be even useful in our conversations to say, are you going to live with God? Is that your great hope? To be with God forever? Christian, that sky that you always see, those stars that are always there, the moon and the sun that never seem to move, those are less fixed than your inheritance is. That is imperishable. And what it says here in this first passage is our hope for that thing is as alive as the one who promised it. We have this through the resurrection of our Savior. Our hope for it is as alive and as secure as the one who guards it. God Himself. What never perishes is precious in the sight of God. And right after our first passage, we have a second one. In chapter 1, verse 7, we've already referenced it. The second thing in the list of God's things that are precious to Him is tested faith. Tested faith. And this has great implications for the expectation of a Christian. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. In this inheritance that God is guarding for us, we rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that, here it is, the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because you, you believe in Him even though you don't see Him. You've got, a, you've got a faith that is real because you believe or love Him even though you haven't seen Him. And everyone who dies in that kind of faith, verse 9, will obtain the outcome of your faith which is the salvation of our souls, which is that inheritance of God. 
I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and never a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Beloved, let's just understand what kind of world we are in. We are in a world that ignores God. That's the world. The world does not think he exists, doesn't think he is as important as other things, doesn't think he is up to speed with our developing understanding of what is valuable, of gender, of sexuality, of equality. And into that world, God wants a witness that He not only exists, but that He is more precious to us than any other inheritance we can get into this world. He wants a witness in this world that His children don't just have faith while life is good or because of some hope for earthly prosperity. And when it doesn't happen, we leave God by the side. In verse 7, we see God does not see gold the way the world sees gold. It is not precious to Him because it will perish. Fire will melt gold. And it will eventually go away altogether, but not genuine faith in Christ. So when professes faith in Christ, the test for whether they possess faith in Christ will be tested by trials. Do you still believe in Him? Christian, set chapter 1, verse 7, deep into your heart and allow it to determine your expectations of your life and to reshape what are your dreams for your life. God is telling us in chapter 1, verse 7, what I love, you want to know is precious to me? What I love is for people to have confidence in me and desire for me that will outlive their grief. That is proven only when circumstances come into our life that are searingly painful. Fire. Listen to chapter 1, verse 7. God is telling us, what is precious to me. And God gets what is precious to Him. What is precious to me is a flame-resistant faith. So, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's coming. Because sorrow is the tool that God uses to teach us about Himself and to heal us of loving what will perish. Are you willing to pay that price in order to hold on to Jesus? Keep listening. Because His love for His people is all over this list of what is precious and imperishable before God. 
The third time these words are used are in chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. I'm going to start in verses 17 through 21. Chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God. The third thing that is precious before God is the imperishable blood of the Lamb. I wonder what object would be worth your life's savings. That, that question is going to make more sense if you don't have a pathetic life savings. It, you might come to me and say, Ryan, okay, I'm looking at it, and you can buy two new tires with your life savings. Is that worth it to you? And I think, well... They're expensive, but I kind of need them. What would God spend his most precious commodity on? Another way to ask this question is how is it that a Christian belongs to God? Not by birth. Not, not, not by physical birth. You're just born and you belong to God. No, not, not in this way. And, and, and listen, there's nothing that God looked at you and said, look how valuable that person is because of how good they are. I have to have you. That's not how we belong to God. And don't understand the mercy of God and the riches of God and the goodness of the gospel to mean that he's just into rebels. He's not into rebels at all. Christians, we are told in verses 18 and 19, belong to God because of ransom. Ransom. Ransom is something you pay to free a child who is kidnapped by the greedy. Ransom is something you pay, this exorbitant amount of money you pay to free a beloved slave who would never get out otherwise. But it's also clear in these verses that we were not being held by evil human traffickers. It it, it is clear that we were not being held by a crooked judge, specifically in verse 17. It says we were We were held under the sentence of an impartial and holy and perfect judge who could not be bought off. You can't buy off an impartial judge. And this judge requires blood wherever sin is present. And that it's just full. Our hearts are full of sin. And so he requires blood and imperishable blood is the price. If what you're trying to buy is millions of lives that are deserving of death, of their blood being shed. 
And he says, look, a world full of gold won't do it. Blood is required whenever sin is present. And not only was the blood of Jesus on the cross shed for our sins and the sins of millions of people who would come to faith in him, but here it's called imperishable blood. Blood is required wherever sin is present, but blood can remain if no sin is in sight. What that means is when the blood of Jesus is shed, when it's the blood of Jesus that is shed for sinners, and there is no sin attached to his blood, it actually covers all of our sins, and that blood can remain powerful. The blood that bought us is precious and imperishable. Now, in context of verse 17, it says the affection of your father must not make you willing to sin against him. That's what this is really communicating. But I want you to just consider for a moment a secondary and real implication of the fact that the blood that bought us is precious and imperishable. And that is this. If the currency cannot be destroyed imperishable. then the transaction cannot be canceled. If the payment is incapable of decay, then our debt can never be recalled. Even though the sins we keep on sinning, keep on coming, God has not lost count of any of them. God has already accepted a payment that was planned in eternity, made in time, and lasts today. Because it is precious and imperishable. The fourth item on the list of precious and imperishable we find in chapter 1, verse 23. It is the preached word. We have an inheritance because we believe we've already been told. Verse 21 told us that we believe because Jesus bled, but we also have to hear about it if we're to believe. We have to hear the message. And the reality that our verse tells us here is that message has to be powerful if people who naturally love Lies are going, lies are going to believe it. Look in verse 23. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the, and here's the, here's the, uh, uh, the, the, the precious indicator, the living and abiding word of God called good in verse 25. The word is the good news of the gospel that was preached to you. This is graphic. This is graphic language about that God uses about the seed of salvation. The seed of a peach tree can perish. You can just look in my backyard and see no peaches. The seed of a peach tree can perish. And it will not give life to anything. And we know in this fallen world all too well that the seed of a human can perish and not work. 
the conditions have to be just so. And if you try to preserve it, that you have to have strict conditions, freeze it, or it is going to perish. That is the actual word in our passage. That seed. What seed has the power to raise the dead? The imperishable preached gospel. How much time honestly, would you spend outside if you learned scientifically that the sun's rays would incrementally add years to your life? And it was guaranteed. How much time would you just be hanging out outside? How much would you pay if Johnson & Johnson sold you an elixir that prevented cancer? Guaranteed. What should you do if you want a loved one saved. What should you do if what you want is to be with God? The word of God's son has no shelf life. Its power to give eternal life never lessens. So the preached word is precious in the sight of God. We have two more. Number five comes to us in chapter two, where we get these words again. Chapter two, verse four. Look, starting in verse four through verse six. As you come to him, that's the Lord Jesus a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves who come to him, as you come to him, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, he is this new temple. He is the house of the Lord. He's the cornerstone laid first. And then he's He's building the house of God who are not just dead stones, but they're alive like him. The people of God are the house of God. And then it says in verse 6, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And here's the good news. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. They say diamonds are a girl's best friend. You know what that means. What a girl wants most of all is to be with her best friend. And she likes to have lots of best friends. She wants diamonds. They're they're her choice. What is God's best friend? What is it that is choice? It's in verse 4. It is His precious stone. The Lord Jesus, listen, is not precious to everyone. Look at the text. He is rejected by the world. He is killed by the world. He is chosen and precious before God. 
because it doesn't end for Jesus whenever he's rejected and killed. He returns from the dead as a savior who makes the saved. Did you hear the language? Just like him. He is a stone that is raised from the dead to live forever after death. He's imperishable. Even though we don't have that word, we have the concept right there. Look in verse 5, what he, what he calls those who come to him in faith. They are made just like him, living stones. In verse 4, he's called a chosen stone. Look in down in verse 9 at what he calls his own people, a chosen Precious. This is the race of people who are especially precious to God. Jesus is hated by the world. But as hated as he is, as unwelcome as he is in many of your friends' conversations, as much as bringing him up in some conversations will just end the conversation and potentially end the relationship, don't ever forget he is the one who is honored by God. And what is amazing is what he says in verse 7. The honor is for you who believe. Yet again, he has given us what he alone deserves. He gives us honor when we believe in Him. But for those who do not believe, He is, verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They're offended by His supremacy, His lordship, don't want to follow Him with all of their life. It says they stumble because they disobey the word. We've been told that's the gospel of Jesus Christ at the end of chapter 2. They disobey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a word you hear? It is a word you must obey. They stumble over the stone because they disobey the word. I want to encourage every one of you to honor the one God honors to turn from disobeying Him. What salvation is, is being saved from saying no to the Lord Jesus. So obey Him. What an amazing list. And part of what is so amazing about this list is that no one else would have come up with it. All those things that I said were precious. I'm guessing you were with me every step of the way. You understood exactly what I was saying. There are certain things that come naturally to us to, to call precious. But in this world, this kind of list does not exist. But it is precious to God. There is an inheritance that you can only obtain when you die. I mean, who comes up with that, no, they're supposed to die to give me my inheritance, but you've got to die. You've got to perish if you're ever going to receive what is imperishable. That's what's precious to God, is dying in that hope. Or, or it, it, what is precious to God is a confidence in Him, that the very confidence in Him is what draws pain into your life. That's precious to God. 
And how is blood precious to God? I mean, gold, there's very few people who have gold. Last I checked, everyone I know has blood. But that is the price. Not just any blood, a lamb's blood without blemish or spot. That kind of blood that doesn't exist anywhere in the world and only existed for 30-something years in the world was only in one place for such a short amount of time. That's the blood that God made because it is the death and the shedding of that kind of blood that buys children who deserve to die. That's the kind of children you want? The one who deserve to die? The ones who don't want you? You're going to give blood to your son for that? It's amazing. It's amazing to say, I'm going to create this power that will overrule a power that is universal. The power of sin and death. I'm going to create a power that's going to raise the dead. And it's never been done before. And Moses didn't even do it. And here's the power. It's just a word. It's just a message. It's amazing. Who is it that is at the seat of honor in God's feast? Who is it that God is going to exalt? It's the one that the world executes. It's just, no one would come up with this. What kind of God is this? That what is precious to him is not precious to anyone in this world. That's why we need to hear the preached word, because we need to be corrected and recalibrated in our own lists. What could be the sixth? final thing that is precious and imperishable before God. Are you ready? A submissive wife. Chapter 3, verse 4 is the last in the list of this surprising and amazing things that are precious before God. Look in chapter 3, verse 3. God says to his daughters, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Don't adorn yourself in those things, verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person, the thing that this world will not see. And so many will not see the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Here's what it means. By submitting to their own husbands. I want to give you the word At the end of verse 4, it's one word translated in two. Very precious is a word that really means the end of ends. It is the goal of goals. We might say this is the end all, be all. What is the end all, be all to God? It's not gold, so it can't be jewelry that you adorn yourself with. It's not hair or your face. That's going to be dust. It is a spirit that is gentle. That is to say, in context, submissive to your husband. 
even, verse 1, those husbands who do not obey God, and yet their wife is still gentle and submissive. It is someone who is quiet, a spirit that is quiet, it's hidden. It's a spirit that is quiet. That is to say, it's not loud. And yet it, it refuses to, I mean, just in the language of the Proverbs, nag and scream. In the context, in spite of, and in the face of the failings of husbands. Gentle and quiet then. It is imperishable. That is the opposite of the word. It's the negated word of what was described in chapter 1 of gold. In other words, this is what is impervious to corruption and death. It is a word that is used elsewhere of our resurrected bodies. It's that kind of imperishable. That's the beauty in God's eyes of a gentle and quiet spirit. Why would submissive wives... Join and finish and cap off this list of what is precious and imperishable before God. Why, ladies, should you resist feminism's power? Why is it that you should push out the world's obsession with women who are seductive and who need to have surgeries to hide how they age, who wear the pants in the family? Who will, who are celebrated online for aborting their children in order to achieve? Think about the first wife. The temptation specifically for Eve was she wanted to be equal with God. She wanted not to submit even to God. Such that God comes and says, your temptation from here on out and your daughter's temptation will be that you will try to be God in your home. And not submit to your husbands. Now God looks and he sees someone who is gentle. Someone who is quiet. Following, says likewise at the beginning of this passage, following the example of Jesus right before. Because of his submission to death. Because of his trust in God, these women who are very precious to God, trust God like the sun does. So when you hold your tongue, ladies, and when you will not lash out, and I mean when your husband is not considering your opinion, when your husband is not listening to you, when you don't even remember the last time he praised you, when you don't remember the last time he confessed the truth of his own sinfulness, when you hold your tongue then, there is a God in heaven who is dazzled, who is smitten and overwhelmed with pride in his beautiful daughter. The question is, ladies, do you believe, do you believe my Father will make up for every shortcoming of my son? Or my husband. Do you believe he will make up for it? It is when that confidence makes you not defend yourself, not manipulate, not maneuver to get your way. 
And when that happens, there is something at work in you that has overruled a power that is at work in everyone who's ever lived. God is loving you then and giving you his best. His best for every woman here is not a dream family. It's not a beautiful home. It is a sincere sense of his glory and his steadfast character that becomes a controlling conviction in your life. A conviction and a confidence that controls you. And you become gentle. That is the same word. It is the same word that Jesus uses to describe himself in Matthew 11. I am gentle. When God sees that in you, ladies, he sees his beloved son in you. So, little girls, young women, And all the ladies here, whatever the world's type is, you've now heard what God's type is. I want to encourage you to memorize verses 3 and 4. And when you're getting ready in the morning, pray these words. And pray them for your daughters. And little boys and young men, and older men. Supermodel looks will perish. Don't look for a woman who spends hours behind a vanity mirror. But someone who adorns herself with the word. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've been not obeying the word. I've been living faithless, even this week. And how often in those moments my wife is not even talking to me, um, uh, not because she's mad at me, but it makes me mad when she's not when I'm in that kind of mood and she's not talking to me, only to learn it's because she's talking to the Lord for me. Because I'm not talking to the Lord. Maybe there are times she's talking to the Lord about me. I don't know, but I'm convinced that every time she does that, she's doing it for me. Little boys, find a woman like that. And if you do, you will find great treasure. What the lottery can't give you, what your success can never give you, you will find what God uniquely calls. Did you see? This is the only time he says very. Precious. One last clarification. And then I'm done. I don't want you to misunderstand that what God deems as precious is perishable or imperishable in the sense that all he's looking for is something imperishable, something imperishable, something imperishable. Oh, okay, that is precious to me. That's actually not the way it is, and it's not the way it is explicitly in the text. In the text, in each of these examples, it is God who is making imperishable what he thinks is precious. He made the blood of the Lamb. 
And he is the one who accepted what he made. When he sent his son with blood and takes his son, son's blood and death. It said in chapter two explicitly, it was God who raised the stone because all the world was wrong about his son. And because God had to, had a house that he was going to build and he had mercy to give. And so God raises the stone and makes it what it is. He is the one who made the seed effective. It said at the end of chapter one that through this imperishable seed of the preached gospel, he has, or we have been born again. But at the beginning of the chapter, in chapter one, verse three, we bless the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has caused us to be born again. He's the one who made it effective. And he's the one who gives the faith. And he's the one who's guarding the faith. And he's the one who made the inheritance. And he's the one who's guarding the inheritance. He is the one who looks at his daughter and sees what she has become because he has reformed her. And he is going to bring her to him. The reason I belabor this point is to persuade you. You will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame if you place all your hope in what he calls precious. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. It is what will never perish that is truly precious to God. So in a world that is perishing, what are the few things that you will treat as precious? Oh God, we pray that you would take this word and do with it what you do with it. You would cause the power from you to empower us through this word to believe it. And to rest solely in Christ alone. And then rejoice because of how rich we are in Christ. We pray for your grace not to waste the word precious and waste our life on things that will fade away. God, may we be found in Christ alone and cherish him until he brings us to you. We ask this in his name. Amen.